Welcome to another edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. There were 18 of us in the Harvard College class of 1963. In 1959, we were the largest number of blacks ever admitted to Harvard. This podcast is about being black in America for over 80 years. It is Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. In this edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard, Harvard University President Claudine Gay is hit with more plagiarism charges, and the crisis in Gaza gets worse. I'm joined by 14 of my Harvard classmates. We'll start with uh, Richard. Well, hello again, Richard, Harvard 63, uh, unsuccessfully trying to be retired, but a journalist, writer. Okay. Uh, Alden. Uh, Also class of 63, grew up in New England and now live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Jerry, Jerry. I'm Jerry Segundi. I live in Pasadena, environmental lawyer, and I still have problems trying to retire. Okay. Uh, Hamp. Harvard 63, another uh, retirement dropout (laughs) and and former roommate of Doug Shapiro. Okay. And uh, Peter, Delisavoy. Peter Delisavoy. I live up in the tip of northern New Hampshire, and am learning a lot from all the emails and discussions, and I'm sure anyone who listens to the podcast will learn a great deal. Okay, John. Oh, hi. Uh, 63, here, um, also writer, editor, source, retired, very uh, successfully retired as far as the enjoyments of retirement go, and... Um, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan, across the state from my little hometown of Benton Harbor on Lake Michigan. Okay, David Othmer. Um, <clears throat> grew up in South America and Central America and spent my career with public broadcasters, presumed predominantly WDT in New York and WHYY here in Philadelphia, where Maureen and I live. Okay, Ann. Uh, Ann Groves, I'm... Uh currently in uh, Oakland, California, and I'm a almost retired psychotherapist uh, specializing in post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, and uh, uh, Marcy. In New York City, um, I run clean air campaigns, open rivers, and civic engagement, and uh, archives project. Okay, Bill. Bill Collins, Harvard 63, now in Aiken, South Carolina, with my wife. Retired from paying work, do a lot of volunteer work, which keeps me quite busy. Okay, and David uh, Lillabelle. So I'm in Florida briefly, uh, but uh, uh, live in New York and we'll be back there soon. Um, I'm a historian of India and that's what I uh, retired from my teaching, but I still work at it. These last two months, I've been sorely distracted by uh, Israel-Palestine issues and uh, maybe I'll write about that too, but uh, that would be more in the way of a memoir than... uh, Uh. historical research and uh cindy yeah i'm cindy wardle allison wardle 
class of 63. I'm living in, uh, in Tuscany, in Chianti, the area of Chianti. <clears throat> Been here for a long time. Okay, Doug. Uh, Doug Shapiro living in Louisville, um, class of 63. Uh, I thought I was retired until I started getting involved with looking up all kinds of things for our uh, online exchanges. Okay, and uh, Ken. Uh, Ken Manister, I'm in uh, Los Altos, California, retired uh, environmental law professor of Santa Clara University. Class okay. of 62. Thank you. Okay. Hey, well, let's talk about, uh, let's talk, uh, what he, let's talk uh, Israel and Gaza. But first, I wanted to find out where did things, where did we leave things with uh, gay? Uh, specifically, Doug, where did things, where do we leave things with her? Got a question for me? Yeah. Well, okay. So, as some of you know, uh, I did this kind of, careful, detailed examination of uh, one case uh, and concluded that uh, although the wording was virtual, virtually identical for a part of uh, the methodology that was described, uh, there was a, a, a critical difference between uh, the uh, previous wording and, and Gay's wording. And I concluded that even though it, it looked like uh, it was plagiarism, that in fact it was uh, it was a reasonable way to describe her her work, uh, and I didn't couldn't conclude that that was uh, plagiarism. However, um, the uh, Crimson uh, sent out a whole bunch of other examples, and other people have sent around other examples. And although I have not uh, looked at those carefully in detail. Uh, it begins to look to me like uh, she has plagiarized uh, elsewhere in her work. So, yeah. Doug, where do you think this thing is going to go now, Doug? What's your sense of that? Where do I think it's going to go? Yeah. <laughs> Garbage can. <laughs> really? You think it's all, it's resolved? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I suspect that Harvard may think that it's too late to, uh, uh, kick her out uh, because of these issues of plagiarism. Uh, I mean, obviously, she's had years of doing uh, administrative work on campus, and that's obviously been uh, successful, and people have been happy with that. Uh, so I don't know, unless uh, people out there manage to uh, treat this as a, you know, uh, a negative point of uh, Harvard in general, and uh, poor standards on the part of the university, she may well stay around as president. Well, how is, she, how is she regarded in general? I haven't been following it up until now. Is she considered to be doing, of course, she's only been on the job for a very short time, but I'm, I'm trying to parse out how much of this is legitimate and how much of it is racism and how much of it is the craziness going on now in the Middle East. Well, I don't see it as racism myself. It might be a right-wing attack of sorts. The Wall Street Journal weighed in. On the other hand, if they don't rebut what was in the Wall Street Journal, then it's fair. You know, it's uh, the, the plagiarism ought to be identified and attacked with an even hand. I see here that the president of Hobart and William Smith College 
in uh, Geneva, New York, resigned in 2018 after he was, uh, his dissertation had been, had plagiarism in it. Hmm. And then they, Tessier Levine of Stanford, the neuroscientist, and I don't know what happened to him, but I think that he did get investigated by the board and it was reported in the newspapers. So these things ought to be reported. But I mean, do you think you can? She's getting away with just a little bit of plagiarism. Well, we or? don't. I guess we don't. We don't know the sum total of yeah. the charges and whether what they're going to be. I'm sure it'll be looked at. Yeah. If well, it's one other thing, it, one other thing that we might ask is whether the actual cases of plagiarism are only in her thesis, or whether the plagiarism has been published. Uh, out there, you know, in various journals and things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what's well, that? What's the difference there? Question. I'd like to ask a question about this. I don't. Yeah. Um, I'm. I plagiarism is uh, publishing right, publishing something beyond fair use without quotations. Without what we're talking about here is not plagiarism. I. It's not plagiarism to borrow an idea or to repeat an idea. It is an issue of, of citation, but is plagiarism the right, right word to use for this? Well, it depends on the, the institutions. All institutions have pretty precise uh, definitions and descriptions of, the, of what constitute plagiarism, how it's investigated, how, how it's judged. So Harvard's got such a policy on on board. I guess we just have to wait and see what will how it will run its course. I, I want to say how how this happens in at least in the humanities and some of the social sciences uh, since the coming of word processors and, and such. It used to be a lot of work to uh, to type out consciously. Uh, uh, now what happens is typically. People take uh, little pieces of uh, notes. They don't have to copy them out anymore. They don't have to write them or type them. They just uh, uh, take them from, uh, uh, they copy and paste on, uh, as notes. And a sloppy person uh, does it without citation and without uh, uh, clear note, uh, knowledge that uh, where is, this is coming from. So that when courses are taught, and I've taught such courses and had to deal with it, you have to tell students very carefully how to avoid this uh, when you're taking your notes and when you're copying and pasting them and, and, and so on. Uh, you have to pay uh, close attention to this. And that typically, I don't know that it's done at Harvard, but I imagine it is, that typically is one of the things students are taught now, how to avoid plagiarism. And there's a whole protocol for doing that. Um, clearly, she didn't do it properly in these particular cases. And she took phrases out of uh, from her notes and pop them into uh, what, what she uh, wrote. And so you get these little passages, usually uh, uh, a matter of 20 words or something like that, 
uh, in which uh, she's, she seems to have take, taken, or she did take, uh, from, from some other source. And then she generally has citations for them. Um, sometimes the citations are held together, uh, you know, at the end of a paragraph or introduced elsewhere, but they're held together in some, some way. So uh, it's, it's sloppy, it's, it's bad. Uh, it, uh, it's not necessarily thoroughly dishonest in, in the sense that we use the term. Are you saying it's, it's not plagiarism? You're saying it's not plagiarism or what? It's, I, you know, if a student did this sort of thing, uh, at this level of, uh, you know, rather small pieces of, of something, uh, you would say, do it again, or you would uh, give a lower grade or something like that. You wouldn't uh, uh, <laughs> uh, expel them from the school or, or, or suspend them or something like that. It's, it doesn't come to that. So each, each university has its rules about these things and procedures. That's what uh, the disciplinary procedures are, and typically, uh, if it's a, a if it goes beyond the instructor of the course, then there's a, a committee of faculty or administrators who uh, conduct a an investigation. And some students are quite shameless about it. Remember that cheating is not unknown, even in the old days. You had Teddy Kennedy and you had Joe Biden's uh, uh, plagiarism at, at Syracuse and, and so on. People, uh, uh, young people make that mistake. Um, it's more serious uh, uh, as one goes on. And of course, it's very serious if it's whole passages. What I... I looked at the dissertation itself, and uh, it seemed to me uh, that uh, this was an original piece of research and, and work and uh, founded on a large body of uh, uh, previous scholarship uh, and uh, was an honest effort. Uh, but there are these moments of uh, borrowing phrases here and there in a sentence here and there. Um, which I attribute to uh, sloppy note-taking. Well, let's go to Israel and Gaza now. David, what are you thinking? Lillabelle. There might be some uh, ceasefire. That's the latest news. Uh, and uh, there might be some further exchange of uh, uh, hostages. Um, one hopes that that would continue. There's also the issue of, uh, and I haven't seen, the Security Council has been uh, debating whether the United States will hold off its veto of uh, a demand for uh, 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 a ceasefire. But the ultimate question is then what happens if, it, if and when it, uh, this all stops, what happens next <clears throat> to the people of Gaza, first of all, and then in a political, uh, uh, possible political arrangement, all sorts of things are being thrown out there of uh, international trusteeships of, uh, 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 and, and so on. What one fears is uh, that Israel will, that the government of Israel will pursue a, a Nakba strategy of trying to force the uh, people of Gaza out of Gaza and into Egypt, Egypt's resisting that. Um, and uh, 
I, I hope that uh, that that does not happen because uh, that just creates Israel has already created a new generation of bitter, angry uh, people who will be quite capable of uh, doing the kinds of things that were done in the past. Uh, I, I, I think the whole Israeli strategy, which seems to have broad uh, support even now uh, in Israel uh, with some dissenters, uh, has been self-defeating. And as I think I mentioned in, other, in quoting other people, though I can't, don't call, call it a plagiarism, because I don't, but I don't remember who said it, is that Israel is like, uh, it, Hamas has acted like a judo wrestler and uh, uh, forced the, the, the stronger party to uh, 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 defeat itself by its own weight. And uh, I think that's what's happening for us. It's bad for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Bill, what were you going to say? Unfortunately, its own weight is falling on the people of Gaza, which is very terrible situation. Very terrible. I would go back to the case of Ireland and England. For hundreds of years, the English demonized the Irish as being brute savages with no capability at all, even though in... A thousand years ago, the Irish sent Christian missionaries to evangelize much of Europe. Despite that, the English demonized the Irish for 500 years, and it took a long time to overcome that. Finally, they decided they couldn't beat down the Irish. That was partly because of all the Irish that came to America and became wealthy, <laughs> politically powerful, and yeah. spent money and political influence to support Irish independence. And uh, once Ireland became independent, it became very prosperous took a while but uh it's a great myth it's a colonizer myth absolutely civilizing mission myth. yes the civilizing mission the white man's burden to civilize the world right mm -hmm. that was the english colonial thing there had been a civilization in india for thousands of years before right. the english and you you name it go on from there and of course the european immigrants to america displacing the indians because the indians were just brute savages that wish deserved no attention when the romans took over great britain they had the same rationale yeah same rationale and it was the indians who taught the pilgrims how to grow corn as the as the myth goes right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah by the way i've wondered about this for some time but are american indians who are living on reservations are they considered to be uh, full citizens of the U.S. with all the rights and privileges thereof? Now they are. That wasn't true. That's a, uh, you know, Beverly just pointed uh, out that the, many of them don't have the a, a postal century. address where they can be identified, and that's a problem. Sorry, I missed that. It, it was uh, they don't have a postal address, you know, a, a, where many of them don't. Some do, of course, but many don't. And they are regarded as independent nations officially in the United States. And so what does that mean? Does it mean set they don't... Casinos. You can set up casinos easier. When yeah, you, yeah. Uh, have that way. <clears throat> Be partnership with the casino. Does it mean that they do not have the vote? They don't have an address, they can't register. 
I think the partnership idea between Israelis and Palestinians is made very difficult by the uh, extreme di difference in status and of being an apartheid uh, or something approaching that uh, relationship and, uh, along with the lack of trust. And if they were, if they were to work together in, in uh, building up the agriculture and stuff like that, it would be very difficult at this point to do it as equal partners, wouldn't it? Well, I'd say, you know, something like 20% of the uh, uh, populations, among them, they, they are, uh, they suffer all kinds of prejudice. There's no question about that. Uh, increasingly so uh, in, in, the, in the Netanyahu years. But there's also a considerable body of uh, uh, professional classes, something like almost half the doctors, uh, medical doctors in Israel are, 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 are Palestinians. Um, and uh, there are lots of professors and, uh, and so on, and lots of businesses and, and such. Um, so it, it does exist within Israel, uh, to some extent, very un, in an unsatisfactory manner, but, uh, it does exist. And, uh, uh, and there are possibilities, uh, for that, uh, in the West Bank as well, uh, in Jerusalem. For example, uh, there are universities in the uh, in the eastern part of Jerusalem, Al Quds University. There's a university in Ramallah. Uh, there's uh, uh, and th those have uh, uh, significant people uh, working there, doing uh, doing good work. So it's possible. It's there. There there are uh, uh, some examples, at least. On the issue of trust, one of the uh, problems, it seems to me, is even if a, an agreement is worked out in some way between, call it to the two states, um, some wacko on either side uh, is going to break that. Uh, and some Palestinian is going to lob a bunch of missiles in. Some, uh, some Israeli is going to do some terrible things and so on. And you have to sort of get past that. And I, don't, I guess they did that in Ireland, um, and I don't know how that how that happened in Ireland, but it seems to me a continue, it, it exacerbates the problem. In Ireland, I think finally, uh, you know, the British had just finished World War One, and they were worn out, and they decided that Ireland they weren't going to succeed in Ireland, and so they they agreed to negotiate and uh, allow the Irish Free State. But it kept the six counties of Northern Ireland part of Britain, and that was a cause of turmoil both in the Republic and in in the North in Northern Ireland. Which is finally people have gotten tired of that and have said, "Oh, let's get over that." And they come to the re the President of the Republic and the Queen of England came to trust each other, and be and the Republic of Ireland became friendly with England, and uh, eventually in the North. They decided to quiet things down. Both sides kind of gave up on their violence. Um, there's still traces of it, but progress has been made. How does that get translated to Israel and Palestine? I have no idea. <laughs> One question that has bothered me is trying to figure out 
what constitutes the anti-Israeli sentiment in addition to everything that we've been talking about um, and that we know in terms of what's going on right now, is it, I mean, I think it gets confused between anti-Semitism, which is certainly alive and well, and anti-current government of Israel, which is certainly alive and well, even in the Jewish community, uh, both here and in Israel, and also anti-Israel period in terms of the feeling uh, our belief that Israel doesn't have the right to exist and and should be eradicated. And um, I know that there are organizations, I, I know someone who works for Jewish Voice for Peace, which is a, a group of Jewish uh, Americans who call themselves anti-Zionist. And um, I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that, but it's, it, I, I think that depending on how you react in terms of trying to form an alliance, it, it, it matters what people are, are feeling, whether they're trying to eradicate the state or, or just eradicate the actions of the state. So I have a question maybe for uh, David to answer, and it has to do with uh, what is the modern definition of Zionism? I mean, you know, a hundred years ago, Zionism was uh, a movement uh, to, uh, to for, for Jews from around the world to immigrate uh, to what was then Palestine uh, to try to establish a homeland for the Jews. Well, that homeland is has been well established now for half a century or more. Uh, and so, but but people still talk about Zionism, and I don't really know what it means anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, you're right. I mean, if you look in the history, and there's a huge body of history of, of uh, the different forms of Zionism that have existed, uh, and the idea of a Jewish state was... Uh, there, but it wasn't uh, clearly uh, set out, even uh, sent out the, the maps, the map that uh, we used to have in the little pushkas in, in, in my house uh, didn't include the Negev, uh, for example. Uh, the, uh, uh, but uh, it was a, basically the word that was used, somewhat embarrassingly, was the yeshuv, which means the settlement. <laughs> and it meant that Jews should go to Palestine. They should develop uh, Jewish uh, institutions, Jewish culture. Um, some of the institutions were innovations like kibbutzim and, and, and so on. Um, so that was what we call cultural Zionism. Uh, and, uh, it, and there's a whole rich literature of ideology about, uh, about that. The idea of uh, Zionism now, as people use it, uh, you know, I can still say I'm a cultural Zionist, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't wash now because uh, the idea is uh, the Jewish state. Just three years ago, the uh, Knesset passed a bill that Israel is a Jewish state. Now, what does Jewish mean? That's the other question. They're not talking about. Um, rituals or values or ethics or the whole history of uh, of uh, what it means to be a jew 
that may be important to some people, but that's not the discourse. It's about a, a purely ethnic, I won't say racist, racial, but ethnic uh, identity of, of, of the Jewish state without any content to it, uh, it seems to me. But that's how Zionism is used now. If you look at APAC or the Zionist Organization of America, it's certainly to uh, what uh, uh, students learn in Israeli schools, it's about the state, the, uh, the, the existence of a Jewish state. Seems to me that the whole problem starts, uh, uh, not the solution, but with the notion of a nation state. And uh, if we could be free of that, um, one could go on. Now, and, and I think, you know, ultimately that's possible. In, in some ideal sense uh, for Jews and Palestinians to live side by side as we the Jews and non-Jews live side by side in other places. Uh, uh, and, uh, but, and what Israel is, is a, could be a, a resource for uh, maintaining, and it is still uh, uh, maintaining a particular cultural or even civilizational uh, tra uh, tradition. But that's not how people use Zionism now. I'd like to raise the case of Ukraine. I mean, Russia set out to erase Ukraine and they've been beaten back. And we have the US Congress who's now tying support for Ukraine and support for Israel to doing something about the US southern border which to me is absurd. I mean, they're utterly unconnected, except in the minds of certain people. How do we resolve that? And are we going to continue to support Ukraine in their fight against Russia? Uh, Marcy? Um, the only connection, um, it seems to me, is migrants need to have a place where they can go. And Israel was viewed um, by people who'd escaped the Holocaust as the only place that would take them in. You know, boats were circling the planet and nobody wanted them. Uh, so there had to be a place, which turned out to be Israel, where they have to take you in. And it's like the Robert Frost poem. Home, home is the place where, when you have no place else to go, they have to take you in. <laughs> um, and uh, is it another idea to think of um, if there are any arable places on the planet that don't have a population now, creating states where they have to take er everybody in who's forced to flee violence or oppression or natural mm -hmm. holocaust or whatever. And I was wondering about the Back to Africa movement um, with Marcus Garvey and whether he had some kind of idea like that and then with everybody jumped on him and that was the end of that. <laughs> well, actually, it shows, for one thing, that if you're in a in a if you're in an imperium and you want to go settle another place, then you have to be willing to go displace whoever is in the place now 
and then you'll be supported by those who wanted to get rid of you. That's what the Marcus Garvey was associated oh. with a, a lot of reactionary <laughs> interests because the notion was if they did go set up something in Africa, it would be a, an outpost. Oh. And he was he would have been willing to uh, to uh, do that, you know, to play that role because you have people who want to be uh, leaders of Bantustans, let's say. But getting back to what Anne raised, I think that's an important point as far as what's going as left or progressive reaction in the United States. A lot of it is actually to be reactionary. At our city council meeting here in Ann Arbor, a group was trying to get the city council to call for a ceasefire. And uh, for various reasons, the city council was balking, even though they didn't when it was Vietnam War or Iraq War. But uh, a member of the Jewish organization here spoke against the idea, and she referred to the the um, atrocities committed against against the um, Israeli and other populations in Israel of October. And well, when she did so, this group that was there calling for the ceasefire, and um, I guess you might say was uh, typical U.S. progressive leftist, whatever. Uh, when she was talking about what happened to the people who were assaulted, they were snickering and giggling and hooting as if it was terrible of her to refer to what happened to the Jewish victims. And so, to me, that's a, a despicable response, but it shows the insidiousness of the uh, anti-Jewish sentiment, sentiment and bigotry that, that the Jewish people there and here would have to factor in when they look at what's going on. When you hear people snickering and uh, who are supposedly uh, uh, progressive people in this country, snickering and hooting about people being slaughtered, you've got to be disturbed. So is that what's going went on and ha has been going on at Harvard? Going back to where we started? Well, probably uh, something similar. Uh, yeah. I can imagine yeah. something similar happened that when the people spoke about their concerns and about the horrors in their community they were uh met with derision or you have it coming that that kind of thing well when things start breaking down like that you're either for them or against them you know <laughs> i mean it really forces people to uh, protect themselves I just think that the, you know, the aerial bombardment and artillery fire and all that stuff maims, it kills and maims yeah. in a horrific way, just yeah. horrific way. I mean, it's not personal in the sense that the Hamas raiders were doing individually to Israelis. That's a different level of, if you will, personal direct scale. Well, still, law. artillery, artillery, and aerial yeah. bombs just utterly demolish places. Yeah. People blow people apart. Literally, they lose limbs. They're eviscerated. You know, you 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 name it. And the survivors are injured horribly in in uh, in those kinds of things. There's no question. But yet, you have to remember that it was the U.S. who who dropped the atomic bombs and particularly yeah. the one on Nagasaki, which was right. gratuitous as far as I can tell, totally. Well, that's that's true of, of World War II generally. I mean, you consider the 
the Germans began bombing English cities. And when they invaded Poland, they simply burned buildings down and slaughtered people and and called hauled people off to be slaughtered in, in at Babi Yar, for example, and so on. And the Allies gradually started reverting to their own bombing of cities. And you know, more people were killed in the fire bombings of cities in Japan <clears throat> than were killed in the atomic bombings. It's just horrendous. What you say is true, but it's it's uh, it it's uh so where do you start? World War II, I think it would have been a disaster if, if we hadn't. But uh, the means of doing it were certainly extreme. But one of the, well, things, one of the things that's that's happened in uh, the Israeli response is that it has muted the uh, reaction that people rightly had to what Hamas did on October 7th. Uh, it's over. It's overwhelmed uh, the the moral calculus, if you, you could say that, of, uh, of what's happened uh, on October 7th. If Israel had had a lesser response in some way, uh, and I think it could have, um, then uh, it, it would not have created this horror of, uh, 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 that, that we now are experiencing to Israel's disadvantage. And certainly to the advantage of, uh, of Jews and, and the rest of the world. So isn't Israel just acting like a normal country? <laughs> I think this is beyond normal. I mean, if you want to call it normal. Well, this is what, sort I, of what I mean normal in a, I don't mean normal in a, in a, uh, you know, a uh, prescriptive sense or a, strictly moral sense but but uh you've just recounted all these other instances of horrors and i always thought that israel i always thought israel just exists as an ordinary country and uh so they've chosen to solve this problem in a time-honored way uh, along the lines of might makes right, you know, and and then and so when you make that bargain, it's like a gamble. But if you're, you know, I mean, when the whites came over to America, they made a gamble, and you know, maybe it works out, maybe it didn't. The whites in Rhodesia made a gamble, and it didn't work out; they lost the gamble. So, uh, uh, but you know, to follow David's point, it could have been handle in a completely different way that you know it seems i was thinking maybe israel could have just stopped and said okay this is a horrendous horrible problem but we're just going to stop still here for a minute get all the hostages out and then figure out just what we're going to do in the way of wasting hamas you know but uh and it might have had a i think the point that a certain amount of moral capital was lost by Israel, but they've um, they've made a bet that uh, you know they can go on into the distant future as a, a on the basis of power itself. A question I have have right now in a practical matter, just in the immediate future, a few years, who who you can see who will invest in Ukraine 
and rebuild it. But who is going to invest in Gaza? Uh, and expands, then we will rebuild it with our taxes. I saw something in, in some something the other day. I don't think it was in this group where some some government official of Israel, somebody in the Israeli parliament or somebody was saying, we're going to empty out Gaza. We'll take the, the Palestinians in Gaza and move them to Lebanon and put them there, mm -hmm. ones that are left. And we'll just keep Gaza as a museum to the Holocaust-like museum. Well, I said, what does that mean? But some government, some somebody in the Israeli Parliament wrote something like that. And well, there were also it was uh, that they that they have nice beaches in Gaza and they'll all be turned into a resort. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that that's been said too. There's there have with, with natural have gas offshore that that the Gaza and uh, needs uh, would need a Marshall Plan as the bombed areas of uh, Europe did. And who will come up with that money? Uh, from where and how, uh, it's hard. A lot will depend on uh, the next election in the United States, I guess. I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, Donald Trump just gave Netanyahu everything he wanted. He didn't even question, you know, moving the moving the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem and all that stuff, you know. Well, it's, I would say instead of uh, $4 billion a year in military assistance to Israel and $14 billion in the uh, uh, current uh, allocation uh, uh, that's uh, before the Congress, uh, 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 that money could be spent in rebuilding Gaza. That would go a long way. In terms of the question about uh, how did Israel react and did they overreact, well, they took a good lesson from the United States after 9-11. We immediately went into Pakistan, into Afghanistan and spent 16 years there and spent billions and billions and billions of dollars and killed lots of people. Uh, that's that's a, a pretty good example of what you ought to do, right? Well, that's a little different, I think. How about the Iraq war? The, the, uh, let's talk about Afghanistan with a comparison. The United States didn't go on and par carpet bomb Afghanistan. They went in with troops to displace the Taliban and drive them out and tried to establish a government in the place. Yes, the Americans undoubtedly killed a bunch of Afghans, but it wasn't by carpet bombing. And it was by, you know, small unit actions generally and uh, an effort to uh, get rid of the Taliban. And the Taliban proved to be very tenacious. We never actually got rid of them. And the... Yeah, government that we set up turned out to be very weak and impotent, kind of like the government of South Vietnam turned out to be weak and impotent. Well, we bombed Libya, Yugoslavia, Syria, Iraq. We've got a lot of bombs that we've laid out all over the place. And uh, when the Spanish and Germans were bombing the uh, Spanish Republic, didn't bother us much. When the Italians bombed the Ethiopians. It didn't bother us much. So we've we've bombed and we've let allies or or people we support bomb people for so long. It looks as if all of this is almost intentional. I mean, to me, I suspect that what Hamas did was uh, in a in a calculation. Not only that, we've also had here. The notion that the only the only good Indian is a dead Indian, and they said that 
Teddy Roosevelt sort of modified it a little tiny bit. I can't remember, but he essentially, even running for president, had uh, or before he was president, had that as something like a motto: uh, "The only good Indian is a dead Indian." Quite possible. This kind of feeling towards people you're going to wipe out is all too familiar to us, really. Sure. Yeah, I mean, the very language uh, Netanyahu called the people who carried out the Hamas raid, sub, he called them animals, and they're calling the Palestinians animals, generally. And that's language, of course, that Hitler used about the Jews, and that uh, people, as you've said, uh, John, it's been used throughout history by the conqueror talking about the conquered as being less than human, inferior races. So, I mean, we were saturated with images of Indians being shot all through our, without even thinking much about it as children. Probably. And there are Indians in all of our movies. It's up there. There's Indians are getting shot by the, Hundreds, day in, day out, movie, movies, movies, sure, sure. The TV programs, radio programs, mm -hmm. Indians getting shot. I mean, you, you you get anesthetized to seeing certain people getting wiped out. Yeah, yep. Well, this comes back to the issue of uh, Israel being a, quote, normal country. Uh, yeah. you mentioned yeah. Uh, yeah. you know actually that's what a yeah. lot of Israelis say we yeah. just want to be a normal country like every other and then they point to what the Americans did yeah. In, uh, sure sure yeah, yeah. right well there, it's also a proxy war between the U.S. and Iran I suspect and I think that one of Hamas's calculations was I think that they would provoke the outrageous response from Israel, and that would bring the other Arab countries in to support Hamas, and we would get the conflagration that would eventually leave the uh, Arabs as the as the victors. And um, you know, that could happen. It could still happen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going according to plan at this moment. Really, exactly. And and I worry a lot about it becoming a wider war and. Mm -hmm. what that means for all of us in, in, on the planet. And of course, we have Russia is getting close to Iran now, politically, you know, diplomatically, and getting weapons from Iran. Right. And uh, and so on and so forth. And it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree. You know, I was looking at a map yesterday of uh, the distances uh, and uh, the distance between Kiev and Jerusalem is not so great, you know? Actually, uh, there are parts of Russia which are... Oh, I just was saying that Ukraine and Russia and so on are part are really quite close to the Middle East, and that makes the possibility of a spreading war uh, even more terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys place uh, Biden in all of this? What's the latest thinking on Biden? Oh. Disaster. Well, I, I think that, that he has not done that badly um, in this. He's he's kept the war from expanding. Um, and as I think I said a couple of weeks ago, you, you can't just say um, 
that Israel is terrible and, and we're going to remove weapons from them and everything else, you have to bring public opinion with you and you have to, you can't be very far ahead of public opinion. But I think 74% like He's way behind public opinion. What public opinion, yeah. public opinion is for um, a ceasefire. Well, but a cease, but 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 in in a word, ceasefire doesn't doesn't solve the problem. Uh, no, I, no I, but if you can't get to that, you're not going to get much farther. You have to get to that, don't you? Uh, at least, yeah. I mean, and so the he's uh, as far as uh, he's losing support in this among younger people, one sided. The youth are, you know, the Democrats are losing. I hope they don't lose enough to lose to Trump. Right. I yeah. Think you know, Trump, the, if pe people don't remember history very well and they don't, I think they don't even, they don't even remember all that Trump did. I mean, Trump, Trump gave absolute unqualified support to Netanyahu and everything. Yeah. Right. Right. And, uh, and he's, if, if Trump had been president at this time, I'm just hypothesizing, of course, he might've provided direct U.S. military support directly in this <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's just a speculation, of course, but it's impossible to know because Trump is all over the place on every issue. Well, that's true. Yes, yes. He could hardly support them more than we have. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, you could. <laughs> I, a fellow I know said to me one day, if I were president, I would turn the Middle East into glass. Into <laughs> glass. Glass, yes. You know, uh, Trinitite, you know, the, the, the sand that's fused by the nuclear explosion. Mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just... It sounds like William Westmoreland. Genocidal uh, fantasies. Uh, yeah. 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 Make sure the last man and woman are Americans. Was it Curtis LeMay or one of those nuts? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. As long as the last survivor is American. Yeah, we were. God figured an American capitalist we have won. Well, listen, we've been going for about an hour and a half now, and uh, I think we should wrap it up and uh, talk again next week. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ken. Thank oh, you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Shalom. Shalom. And that's it for this edition of The Last Negroes at Harvard. I'm Kent Garrett. I will talk to you next week.